past few days, I had the privilege of ushering a dear friend of mine into the kingdom of God. I had the privilege of marrying off two of my youth group kids who had fallen in love. And I had the privilege of bumping into Pastor Keith before our service this morning where I gave him a hug and I just said, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I was inspired by the words that he shot back at me when he said, what a beautiful morning to praise God after just losing his mother. In our Christian life, we experience some really unique joys, don't we? And, and the way that God blesses us is very unique. So let us always remember, we have a reason to be joyous. We have a reason to sing because God is so good to us, no matter what the circumstance. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and what you do in our life, God. I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you would speak and that you would also cause our ears and our hearts to be open and to not hear these words with an agenda, but to hear what you have to say to us, Lord Jesus. Because these are the red letters, these are the words of Christ that we speak today. And so as we look at our true vine, I pray, God, that you would minister to us, that you would speak to us, and allow us to remember that we do need you, God. Every hour and every moment, Lord Jesus, we need you because apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we thank you, God, for this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, now you can be seated. Well, it is Pentecost, and thank you to all who wore red. Uh, it's a fantastic morning. Pentecost is the day in which the Holy Spirit uh, came to us here on earth and ascended on the disciples like tongues of fire, which is why we wear red. And, and that's actually a portion of our story this morning. Um, but before we get there, I want to share something with you. We are in our last week of the I Am series, and Jesus says that I am the true vine. And while that may seem like a simple statement, it's actually a very loaded, jam-packed statement uh, that is really fantastic. And so last summer, uh, my wife, myself, and, and, and my in-laws, we all went down, and my kids, we went to the Outer Banks. And while we were in the Outer Banks, we, we like to adventure around. It's beautiful down there. I love it. It's one of my favorite places on earth. You've got the ocean on one side. You've got the sound or the bay on the other. And it's just, it's fantastic. And so every year that we go down there, one of the traditions is, is we've, we've rented jet skis. And we've just had a really good time riding around, jet skiing around. And my, my um, eight-year-old son absolutely loves it. And I'm the coolest guy in the world when I take him on jet skis. So we do that before he finds out the truth. Anyway. And so this past year, we called the jet ski rental place, and I said, you know, we want to do jet skis. And the gentleman on the phone says to me, well, we're doing something different this year. We're actually doing uh, jet ski tours. I said, okay, what's a jet ski tour? He's like, oh, we'll take you around. You'll see dolphins, and you can jump in the water with them, and we'll go to all the lighthouses, and we're going to do this grand tour. And, and I thought, you know what, that might be a lot of fun. And, and then I did the dollars and cents, and it was actually cheaper to do the two-hour tour than it was for the half hour of the jet ski, so we decided to do the tour. When we get there, we find out that, in fact, this is the first time they have offered the jet ski tour. Not like even the day, but the trip that we're on is the very first jet ski tour that they decided to do. And so they have one person who's in charge of about 10 to 12 people uh, on jet skis. Now, I am a leader. It's, it's where God's put me. And one of the things I recognize is when there's trouble afoot. And when you have... 
10 to 12 people about to jump on jet skis with one person responsible for all of them, your little red alert radar goes up. And so I remember mentioning to the guy something, and I said something about, you know, is this, are we okay? And he said, oh, yeah, we're good. We got this. As long as we stay together, we're fine. Famous last words. With those words being spoken, every one of you can imagine what happened when you get all these jet skis together. He takes off, and we start touring around. We don't see any dolphins or lighthouses. We just start driving around, and, and this guy's brand new at his job, and, and so he flies out in front of the pack, and, and, and we're driving around, and it's, we're not even sure what's happening, but it was great because we were jet skiing. One of the things he, he was very specific about as we were preparing to leave is he said, make sure you stay together. We need to stay together. And I remember there was a mother there with a very small child, a uh, little girl, and, and uh, she was very kind of white-knuckled on the jet ski, yelling at her husband, I can't believe we're doing this. And, uh, you know, we've, we've all been there. And so after a while, um, I had been talking with this jet ski guy, and some people had lulled behind. And what was happening was, is because this guy really didn't know what he was doing, uh, he was taking us in jet skis through sawgrass and different types of reeds and things growing up out of, the, out of the ocean. And if you know anything about jet skis, they have an intake on the bottom. And so, as like any other vehicle, you should never drive it through shrubs. Um, so instead, this guy decides to drive through shrubs, and what happens is, is people are sucking up all this junk into their intakes, and their jet skis are stopping and stalling. And so after a while of, you know, pulling all the gunk out of people's jet skis, we continued on our way. Well, at this point, my son and I have really mastered the art of the jet ski, and we start to pull ahead of everybody. And I guess the guide was competitive because he then pulls alongside of us. Well, he can't get in front of me, so I pull ahead of him. And so for a while, we had this little competition going on, and then I remember at one moment turning around to see four jet skis behind us. And the guy goes, oh no, where is everybody? And he came to the realization that he had lost people. And he'd gotten focused on the wrong thing. And I remember saying to him, we should probably retrace our steps and go back. I bet they got stuck in grass and we can find all these people. He said, no, we're not doing that. And he took off and made a beeline for the... For the um, jet ski rental place. Just a little lesson in rescuing. The first thing you don't want to do is panic, and the second thing you don't want to do is totally abandon all your people. In this guy's military, it was leave every man behind, okay? And so he takes off, and now what's happening is, is me, my wife, and a few others who are left, we're playing catch-up to this guy, and this awkward situation, this little bit of a rescue, is turning into a little bit of a nightmare. As we get back to the dock, I, I inform the gentleman, I'm a first responder, I can come help you, I, I'm trained in water rescue and all this stuff. He goes, no, you stay here, give me your jet ski. Jumps on my jet ski, because I was clearly riding it faster than him earlier. And then he takes my wife and my sister-in-law with him. Who, they don't even know what's happening. They're going, yay, jet skis. And he then takes off. The lady, one of the, the lady with the little daughter is missing, and her husband goes out as well, but the rescuing guy leaves them in the dust, and now I find out later they're lost. And so what happens is, of course, because in a moment in, in when, when the body's kind of broken down and everybody's all kind of separate, above us, Armageddon begins to happen. The sky grows dark with these clouds that I can't even begin to explain to you how nasty and scary it became. The lightning began to strike everywhere around us. And so my son and I, standing on the shore, walk in and we're there for two hours through this storm. And I promise you this in your life, when you become separated 
from the body, that is when the storms in your life will hit. All of that to tell you this. They, they rescued all the people. And I remember when they came back in, the mother and the small girl were weeping very hard. They were terrified. She was yelling at her husband, How could you leave me? You left me out there to die. As melodramatic as the situation was, the reality is, when we are separate from the body, we're dead in the water. And Jesus this morning is teaching to us in a moment that when we are separated from the body of God, the body of Christ, we are dead in the water. And as I said before, I promise you this, in those moments when you are apart from God, that is when the storms will hit every time. Doesn't it always seem to happen that way? If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to John 15 with me. Jesus is having this, this beautiful moment with his disciples where he's at the Last Supper. He is talking to them about going and, and going back to the Father and Judas, his heart has turned and he has at this point gotten up and gone and done what he had to do. And Jesus' disciples are, are bumming. They're, they're, they're really kind of sad because they're hearing all this stuff about Jesus leaving them. And, and in, a cha in chapter 14, right before he says what he says here, he promises to send them the Holy Spirit. A promise that is fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, which is why we wear red today. Jesus said, I will not abandon you, but I will send one to be with you, one to empower and enable you. And he did so in the Holy Spirit. Well, in chapter 15, Jesus, his language changes. As he's been talking about going back to the Father, in chapter 15, he begins to talk about how the disciples, with all that they're about to do, need to remain in the body of Christ. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 15.1, where it says these words of Jesus. He says, I am the true vine. And I just want to say this this morning. Have you ever seen a seed grow a seed, grow a seed, or a fruit, turn into a fruit? I want to be very clear here this morning. If you hear me saying that you work for salvation or it's, it's man-centered, you're not listening. And, and I want to challenge you to, to, to listen sharply. Because this is a confusing, very theologically deep passage that if you're not paying attention, you could hear me wrong. And I don't want you to hear me wrong. Because as Jesus says in here, and I will read it, apart from him, we can do nothing. Can everybody say that with me? Apart from him, we can do nothing. So we're all on the same page, right? Great, here we go. The Last Supper, Jesus says, I am the vine. And in this moment, in that statement to us, I am the vine. He actually says, I am the true vine. You are the true vine? Why is that such big news? Well, see, to the Israel, Israeli culture, the Hebrew culture that day, the reference of that vine is a significant statement because when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's making a direct reference to a title that was given to Israel. They are known as the bride of God. They are known as God's people. They are known as the vine of God. And so when Jesus Christ says to his disciples, I am the true vine, he, in this moment, is unifying 
theologies from the Old Testament and the New Testament. When Jesus says, I am divine, he is saying, I am Israel. I am Elijah. I am the one you have been waiting for. I am the Savior. When he says, I am the true vine, Jesus is saying, I am the source of life. Through no other means can you have life. Everything else equals death. I love the imagery of the vineyard. Because in a vineyard, there's the true vine. The true vine is the original root, the original trunk of the vine. And if you've ever been to a vineyard, some of you have been, they, it's beautiful because you see these, these just fields and fields of grapes that, that, that go off and, and there's branches everywhere and the, and the gardener will pick those branches up and, and place the grapes on top of these, these different, I don't even know what they're called, things. And, and, they, and, they, and it's just beautiful. And all of the life in the vineyard comes back to the true vine. If you can, I, wish, I hope you can see that. Because when Jesus is stating that, he's, he wants that imagery to come across. Because if, if you were to cut a branch, if you were to take off a branch, the true vine does not die. But if you take out the true vine, everything dies. You see in the imagery being painted here that the only source of life that there is for the branches is the vine. And Jesus is that vine. Next four words. And my father, actually six words. My father is the gardener. I don't know how many words it is. My father is the gardener. So Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And God is the gardener. Think about this imagery. That means that God intentionally planted Jesus here on earth so that we could grow from him. That God intentionally brought Christ to this place and, and, and put him through suffering and pruned him on the cross so that Jesus could bear fruit that is us. So that the vine could bring more life. Because if you know when you have a tree in your yard, if there's dead branches on it, those dead branches will actually suck life and kill the tree. I had a cherry blossom tree in my front yard, and there was this really massive branch on it that was dead, and the kids in my neighborhood loved it. They would break their legs out of it and swing on it and all kinds of good stuff. It was a great swinging limb. But I recall one year where my cherry blossoms didn't bloom. And I asked a friend why, and he said, because that limb is sucking all the life out of your tree. So we cut it off. We pruned it. My kids were mad. The neighborhood was mad because we cut the fun branch. But that next year, that tree blossomed. And it came to life. And it produced fruit. God is a gardener who loves us. He cares for us. He attached us to the true vine. He engrafted us. When Jesus said, I am Israel, he took the Jewish people and he took the Gentile people and he made us one. If we think about the context of the Bible as having two theologies, Old Testament and New Testament, that's wrong thinking. Because when he said, I am the vine, he unifies that. Jesus is Israel. Jesus is the Savior of the Jews. He's the Savior of the Gentiles. This whole book is the story of our heritage. Jesus is the vine. God is the gardener who loves us enough to prune us. Church, let me ask you this question. 
God is the gardener and Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, are you receiving life from the branches? Are you engrafted into the vine of Jesus? Are you, are you so into it that you can feel that living water coming through the true vine and, and coming into you? Are you in tune with who God wants you to be? Do you recognize that God has a plan for your life and his plan is not for you to be miserable and sad. His plan is for you to be in tune with his desires. His plan is for you to abide in the true vine. And I'm going to tell you this, church, when we commit ourselves to Christ, when we obey, which is the word abide, when we abide in the true vine, God will do amazing things through us. God will produce fruit through us. Do you know an apple tree does not sit around and think about producing apples? It doesn't focus and say apple and then an apple happens. It simply is what it is. And if we as Christians are who we say we are and we're attached to the life-giving vine of Jesus Christ, which apart from we can do nothing, if we are truly growing in God and relying on him to prune us and we're not getting in the way of that because we can do that. It's funny, could you imagine a tree being pruned and then saying, give me that branch back. That's what we do all the time, church, when we cling to our habitual sins, when we cling to the things that God wants to prune out of our lives. We're fighting the gardener who sees the entire picture. We're fighting the gardener who has a good plan for us. And sure, it may hurt to be pruned right now, but God's plan is good, and, and eventually you will bear more life, and you will bear more fruit, and you will be greener, and you will be grapier than you could ever imagine. God has good things in store for those who abide in him. There are those out there that will not abide in him. There are those out there who, who will not attach, who will not be attached to that tree. And Jesus says these words in, in John 15. I would encourage you to grab a Bible and read along with me. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now this is a controversial verse because I've oftentimes had people come to me and say, well, does that mean then I can lose my salvation if I don't work hard enough? No, not at all. Because the reality of it is, if you're not producing fruit, you never had life in the first place. You may have had a Jesus experience where you liked something about God, but even the demons know who Jesus is. I love the way R.C. Sproul says it when he says these words, The love of nobody saves nobody, but the love of Jesus Christ and the confessing of him as your Lord and Savior will save everybody who will have him, who he calls. Do you see what I'm saying there? There's a lot of us in this room that, that we like Jesus. We like church. We like religion. But the reality of it is, is we haven't engrafted into that true vine. And, and we're deader than we realize. I would say we're even more deader, if that even is a word, than people who don't even know God. Because in our heart of hearts, we know that we're dry. We know that we're crispy and that we're firewood. But yet we refuse to let God prune us and cleanse us. The word used 
in the scripture here when he says that he prunes even those who will produce fruit is a word for cleansing. He will clean us. Not so that he can be some mean God, but because he loves us. Because when he, when he disciplines us, when he works in our lives, he's causing us to be better. He's working in us to be what he wants us to be. And that's a beautiful, fruit-bearing plant. If you can follow the analogy. When we don't actually love Jesus, we're not a part of that life-giving vine. So can you lose your salvation? I don't believe so. Because once you have that life, God will prune you. He'll work with you. So this means two things. We encounter people all the time who walk away from the Lord. I would say it like this. It's going to be one of two stories. The first one is, they never knew Jesus in the first place. Or, they're going to come back. Because the Bible tells us that if we train a child up in the way he ought to go, one day he will return to it. The words of God do not fall void. So be encouraged, parents. That there may be seasons in people's lives where they wander from the Lord, but if he has taken hold and they are actually attached, it will take a pruning, it will take pain. But one day, they will return to it. Those are not my words, it's the word of God, and I believe it. I have seen it. Working in student ministry, I've seen awful family situations. But having done it for quite some time now, I've seen them return. Trust in that living water of God. When you're going through hardships in your life, trust in God. Trust that the gardener knows what he's doing. Trust that there is life pumping from that true vine because there is. And sometimes when we're out there on the end of the branch and we just don't feel it or we just don't see it, it is there. Trust it. Trust the gardener. Trust the vine. Abide in him. And when we do that, we will see fruit produced in our church and in our lives. What is this fruit? Well, I'll be very honest with you, it's easy. The fruit that he's talking about here is, is, is a couple things. The first is people coming to know Jesus. When God's people are who we say we are, Jesus says that you will be the, the, the venue by which I reveal myself to people. I will use you to share the gospel. And so when we as the church are attached to the vine, abiding in him, we will produce fruit that leads people to the true vine. If you find a grapevine and you follow the grapevine, where is it going to lead you? To the true vine. And so if we are who we say we are, we are going to produce fruit that is going to lead people to Jesus, understanding that it is him who calls people. If we are being obedient to the true vine, if we're abiding in the true vine, the fruit that will, it will produce are the fruits of the spirits, which, which, which comes from Galatians 5. If we are in tune with God and if we're focusing on his word and we're asking him to dwell in us and we're asking him to, to work in us and we're not holding on to dead things, again, this isn't because of anything you do. It's because of what God does. You will see the fruit of love. You will see the fruit of joy in your life. You will be able to say few days after your mother dies, how beautiful it is to worship God this morning. Thank you, Pastor Keith. He's not up here right now. But what a blessing to be able to say that. What a blessing to sit with my friend Jim and for him to say, she's with Jesus this morning. 
There's joy and sorrow when you're in tune with the true vine. Patience will be a fruit. Goodness, kindness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. These are fruits that will bear out of, of the vine when we are in tune with God. Let me finish reading to you this scripture passage because it is so good. Jesus says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Well, that's fantastic because now God's telling us, hey, if, if I just obey God, I can ask him to be a bajillionaire and live on the beaches of Hawaii and suffer in there, right? No. Because here's the reality of it. If you're abiding in the true vine, the desires of your heart are going to be the desires of the vine. And the desires of the vine are the desires of God. And when we are with God and engrafted in, those desires that Jesus is talking about are not of things of this earth. When he says, if you ask of me, I will give it to you. When your heart is attuned with God, the desires of your heart will be the things of God. And he will bless you in those things. Does that make sense this morning? You following me, church? He's not Santa Claus. He's God the creator. He's God the gardener. He's Jesus the vine. Jesus the life-giving bread. Our shepherd, our gate, our light, our savior. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Not man's glory, God's glory. Did you hear me say that? Not man's glory, God's glory. And that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Remaining in the vine. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that, you, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. He's reiterating, he's stating again the fact that when we remain in the vine, our desires and our heart, our joy, now becomes the joy that brings joy to God. And a scripture that Pastor Barry will often use will say how beautiful the death of his saints are. And the believer can find joy in those moments because we know that those loved ones are with the Father. My joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other. Church, if we're tapped into that life-giving sustenance of Jesus Christ, we have no reason to be grumpy. We have no reason to not have a smile on our face. We have no reason to not be joyous. I just watched a woman who was riddled with cancer for five years never frown because she knew Jesus. And she cooked me dinner. 
she was dying and said, I want to serve you. And I went to her house to serve her, and she cooked me dinner. And just moments before she died, she says, how is your family? How are you doing? And she perked up to life because she was attuned and attached to the true vine of Jesus Christ. And she genuinely loved because she was first loved by Jesus. Where's your trunk, church? Where's your branch attached? Are you attached to that living, true vine of Jesus Christ? Or are you trying to suck life from something else? Because I promise you this, if you are sucking life from anywhere else than other than Jesus Christ, it will lead to your death. And it will lead to you being dead in the water, separated from the body. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. He was the ultimate example of that. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for, ev- for everything that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I choose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, the fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And this is my simple command. And Jesus says it for a second time. Love each other. When God tends to his garden, he doesn't do it because he has to. He loves us because he gets to. And the reality of it is when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid the sin penalty that was owed. And the reality of it is, is no matter how hard we work, that's not going to get us into heaven because the ticket of admission was paid for by Jesus. We serve God. We love God. We serve one another, and we love one another not because we have to, but because we abide in the vine and we want to be obedient to what he said and because we get to. Amen? And when you serve God and when you love God, you're going to be fruitier and grapier and more alive than you could ever possibly imagine because you're closer to what God wants you to be when we love one another. Where are your roots? Where do you see fruit? in your life. Because the reality of it is, if you don't see fruit in your life, I would ask, are you receiving life? Maybe you really like this Jesus guy, but you've never surrendered completely. Ask him to stir your heart. Ask him to call you. Ask him to prune you and to wake you up. And let us be joyous, fruit-producing branches. Amen, church? Father, we love you and we thank you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And we give you the glory for everything, Lord Jesus. So help us to rest in you in those times of storms, in those times of troubles. Help us to find our, our hope and our joy in the fact that you love us and that you died for us and that you paid the ultimate price for us. Help us to know that, God, you are committed to us, that you're not going to abandon us, just as you sent the Holy Spirit. 
that you will be with us, you will dwell with us, you will laugh with us, you will cry with us. And so in those moments, God, help us to count on you, help us to rely on you, for God, we need you. Oh, how we need you. Amen.